as you go there. I want to talk to you about uh, man's downward trend away from God, and I called it living dangerously. Anytime you turn your back on God, you're in dangerous territory. You are living dangerous. Romans chapter 1, as you're turning there, uh, we are going through the book of Romans, verse by verse, line by line, and we're in a portion of Scripture that describes this downward trend uh, by the human race away from God. Now, a lot of things that, that Paul's going to say in this chapter are speaking to mankind, all right? Not speaking mainly uh, uh, to an individual, even though an individual applies. It's about man, about men and women. And uh, basically, mankind lives away from God. All we like sheep have gone astray, gone our own way. And the truth is, they're headed down. Uh, Romans 1, verse 18. Let's start there, and we'll read down to verse 29. I'll read out loud. You read silently along. Verse 18, Romans 1. <clears throat> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. He doesn't pick and choose. He's against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Now, when we think of Godhead, you've got to understand his authority, his, the, the position that he has over everything. They even understand God is greater than everything. So that they are without excuse, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Notice the progress. They knew God. They didn't want to honor Him, became thankless, and their foolish heart was darkened. As they're going down, verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Keep going and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to a corruptible man. To birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And aren't you glad this Bible doesn't talk like the newspaper? You see, God wrote the Bible so that a nine-year-old could read this and not get too much detail. But you grow up and you start reading about this stuff and you go, that's us. That's our society. It's the most up-to-date book in the world. Verse 27. And likewise, <clears throat> let's see, verse, uh, did I read 26? Oh, 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God, three times it says it, God gave them over to a reprobate mind now to, those, to do those things which are not convenient. That is the downward path of men. Now the truth is this. Men and women try to live dangerously, not caring about God, not caring about eternity, not caring about their soul. They only care about having fun and excitement and thrill and, 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 and uh, you know, being popular and stuff like this. And they know God, yet they won't honor him as God. 
and they're unthankful. They think they're so smart, so wise, and yet they, they live like fools. They attempt to change God in their own image, end up destroying themselves, I'm going to prove to you. They worship everything but God and end up as slaves to lusts and to vile affections. They reap what they sow with diseases and ultimately a reprobate mind, and the world becomes filled with all unrighteousness and sin instead of godliness. That is the downward trend of mankind, and it has terrible consequences because everybody who climbs, this, was, uh, this is a picture of a guy climbing up uh, in Yosemite National Park over in California. You climb up that thing, and I got, I stood there, it takes two days to climb up. Some people take three days to climb up this, this structure of the half dome, and getting up on that, on that rock uh, is a major accomplishment. But you better be prepared for the slip, because you can live so dangerously that you think nothing matters, and then you lose your grip, and you're gone. And that is a consequence of living without God. I'll prove to that to you this morning. Now, where does it all begin? It doesn't begin with murder or with adultery, but with rejecting God. Look back there in verse 18. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They have the truth, because that which may be known of God is manifested in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. I mean, you'd have to be a fool to not know that there's a creator. This thing didn't happen by accident. And, are, and uh, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they were without excuse. And so what happens is, verse 21, this is because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Just stop there for a second, and let me be real plain. Everybody has some truth. They know that there's a God. They know that they're... They didn't crawl out of the muck. I mean, the craziest thing that, that Charles Darwin put upon uh, the, the minds of, of mankind is that we're, we're ascending up from apes, and apes ascended up from, from chimpanzees, and chimpanzees ascended up from amoeba, and amoeba just crawled out of the rocks in the water due to lightning. And he said all this without any evidence. But the whole world said, wow, what a great idea. We no longer need God. Now, what, they, what this says is that they know the truth and they choose not to believe it. And they have enough truth, and yet they live ungodly with it. Every person has some truth. Everyone knows about God. Go to John chapter 1. I know you're in Romans. Hold your place here. Go to John, the Gospel of John chapter 1. You notice that little verse where it says, God hath manifested himself. He's revealed himself unto, unto all of mankind. You're not going to ever find God. God has to show you himself, has to, has to make it possible for you to find him. John chapter 1 and verse 10. Speaking of, chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, capital W, speaking of Jesus, was God. The same was in the beginning with God. It's always been there. And all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Not in darkness. He didn't give us darkness living. He gave us light. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. John, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That 
The other man was the true light which lighteth how many men that come into the world? Every man who's ever born has had some type of illumination for them to know there's a God. God puts his knowledge, puts a knowledge of him inside everybody. That's why when you tell a child there's a big fat guy in a red suit who's going to magically twinkle his nose at the top of the roof and come down our chimney. That's why that kid goes, wow, and believes it. Because we're wired to believe. It's a shame you tell them that and you won't tell them about God becoming a man and being born in a manger to die for them. God put that knowledge of himself in us. That doesn't mean that we're saved just because somebody knows about God or he's aware of God or believes in God. That doesn't mean they're saved. The devils believe in God, by the way. People just know that God is there. Our conscience proves it. Creation proves it. Uh, everything you ever find, every, you pick up a phone, you, uh, a, a screen, a, a chair, everything had a designer. Everything had a creator. And yet we come and we go, well, look at this planet. It's a great accident. It's very unusual. And yet what, what happens is man rejects God. Turns away from, remember that. Man turns away from God. That's where it begins. People I know, when I was not a Christian, when I was unsaved, 14, 15, 16, you know what I did when I talked about God? I made fun of him. I mocked him. Now, some of you grew up not knowing not to do that. Well, I didn't grow up not knowing to do that. I thought it was just part of humor. You tell off-color jokes about God. You mock God because you don't believe he's there. But there's a prick of the conscience that says, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Where'd that come from? Man rejects God, hates God, ends up hating someone they claim is not there. You want to get somebody upset, talk to an atheist about God. They get so angry about somebody they believe is not there. <laughs> Mankind in general are unable to thank God for anything. I'd say probably in this room, there are many people who when you sit down to eat, you don't care about if your wife is there, if your kids are there, if the food's there, you're eating. And you don't stop and say, we're going to thank God. Because that's right to do. It says, neither were they thankful. So they end up rejecting God and they won't glorify him as God. And we find out that people think they're so smart, they're so wise with all our science and all our technology and all our human abilities, and we've got some amazing things that we can do as humans. But God calls us fools. You see, nobody makes the decision to walk away from God and from the revelation of who God is without consequences. And if you notice there, as we read back, let's go back to Romans chapter 1. As you go through that, you see that there are consequences. Uh, I... When I, was, when I was in college, you know, guys didn't care about how they looked. But man, guys can't go out of the house unless they spend an hour in front of that mirror. Vanity is the way we live. We worry about what we look like. We worry about how people see us and whether we say things just right and whether, whether people like us and stuff. And that is a sign that we're in because all this says is they become vain empty worthless you know by the time you're 80 years old and you look at your family you're not going to wish that you worked more you're not going to wish that you had more money you're not going to wish that that um you know you had a yacht or that you had three houses you're going to wish your family was by you you're going to wish that 
your wife forgave you. You're going to wish that your husband was, was, was with you. You're going to have regrets about things that matter. And yet we worry about stupid things. How many likes do I have? Is my Instagram up at the top? When anyone turns away from God, they're going to turn to worthless feelings, worthless lives, worthless thoughts like Facebook, TikTok, computer games. They've got this thing now called VR headsets and augmented reality. They want to put a device on the back of your head going into your brain to be able to read your thoughts and stuff. Where's all that coming from? A, 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 a generation that says, we don't need God, I'm fine. And we become so closed up and we have no life. We become fools. So as we go along here in chapter one, we notice they rejected God and they start changing our view of God as a man, as, 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 a, as a human race. Look at verse 23. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God. That means the untarnishable, the unchanging, the perfect, pure God. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Into birds. They made God into a four-footed beast and even creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. This is serious. You see, God is who he says he is. And when he says in Isaiah 46, I'll tell you this, he says, remember the former things of old, learn from history, for I am God, not Alexander the Great, not Adolf Hitler, not Mao Zedong, I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And I am, uh, and from the ancient times, I can tell you the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. That's God. Psalm 107, David realizes, he says, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And yet men said, I don't believe in God. You see, what, you, what you're saying is you don't like who he is. God is who he says he was, who he says he is, and he is who he is. He's called the I am. Now, it gets serious because if we don't like God and we don't want to worship God, we change him. It's like changing the TV channel. I still remember when they brought home the clicker. We sat down in front of the television, and there was a little spark inside of that clicker. And you sit in front of the television and you'd push the button and go click. And the television channel would go click. And you'd change the channel. I mean, there was a sound to it. There was substance. This is back in the 60s, okay? Back just after the flood, you know, in Noah's day. <clears throat> and you'd be sitting there and you'd, you'd be watching something. Somebody clicked the channel and you'd go, what'd you do? And they go, I didn't like what I was watching. You go, ah. Still happens today, doesn't it? But we change God like we change channels. Like we flip through, they, they create these little blips on your social media for you to sit there for an hour going through and you keep looking for something. People change their outfits. People change their lifestyle. People make a God more to their liking, more popular, more relevant, and more like us. And then they change the invisible God into images. Something they can see. And when he says there, back there, verse 23, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like to corruptible man. Can you imagine making an image of God out of metal that a few weeks later it starts to rust and rot? 
make it out of wood, and then it starts to, you find out it's got full of termites. Can you imagine making an image of God that is going to fall apart? It really is a bad thing when people make an idol to worship God instead of God himself. What are they doing? They're creating a God they can control and they can manipulate. They're, you know, God does not need us. Can you admit that? God does not need us. But when you create an idol, you're creating an idol that needs you to carry it. Needs you to come and offer things to it and to appease it. That you created a God that needs you. And they create a God that they can understand and make sense to them. That's why people today are believing that we're in a simulation. You ever heard that thing? We're in the matrix. You see, they're trying to understand an infinite God. And as they struggle to understand infinite God, they come, I guess we're in a big computer simulation. You're creating an idol system because you can't figure out and you don't like what God's doing. And they never stop. Look at verse 23. It goes on. It says, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And it steps down to birds. Look at the evolution here. To four-footed beasts and to creeping things. It goes in reverse. <laughs> Darwin said we went from creeping things to four-footed beasts, animals, and to birds, and then to man. No, no, no. That's the progress of humanity. Without God, we end up worshiping things that are more and more vile. And it never stops. Uh, that's why it's called imagination. Image, imagination. It's just continuous. You start to make a God according to your own image. You hear about the God of thunder? The God of the ocean, Neptune. The God of war is Mars. Aphrodite, the God of sex. These are all small gods that they create so they can sort of understand God. And they're replacing the almighty God. God hates idolatry. You know, when a man, let's imagine, imagine a man's got a, a wife, and he instead makes an image, a statue, a picture, a painting, or something on his phone. And it may even be a picture of his wife, and he is in love with it more than he is with the real her. You know what that's called? Pornography. When you love an image more than you love the real thing, it's pornography. And that's how God looks at the fact that you're trying to worship a thing instead of him, something you made instead of who he really is. Now, the truth is this. This is, this is why this is so serious is because when we change our view of God, we end up ruining ourselves. Verse 24 says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Uncleanness simply means filthy, unhealthy. <clears throat> you ever hear somebody say, I hate myself? You know what people say? That's an unhealthy emotion, isn't it? That's because it's unclean. And so what we are in is we're in a day and age where there's nothing but filthy words, filthy acts, filthy thoughts, everywhere promoted and when you try and reject who god is and change god to be more like you like it changes your understanding of yourself when god is not allowed to be who he is you won't be able to figure out who you are isn't that interesting the reason why balancholic needs this church is because without gospel preaching without the bible without the gospel this city is filled with more and more people who are confused about what they are who they are what gender they are that's a product of Christianity going quiet. 
you don't know who God is, you'll never understand that you are a special creation of God, created by God, like Him. You are created in the image of God. Instead, you'll start to believe you're only an animal with animal urges. You'll start doing whatever you feel like doing, like a dog or a rat. And you'll start smoking, drinking, and you'll just live lazy because what does it matter? And you'll end up driven by lust, doing only what feels good. You see that in verse 24? You see how strong the Bible is when you just take a moment? Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. When people abandon God for lustful desires, God gives them up to those desires. You want that thing? God says, go for it. And it's not a good thing. You'll, you'll arrive, you'll end up, if you turn your back on God, you just, I'm talking about an unbeliever here now. Christians have their own problems. But if you just say, don't need God, don't want God, I'm fine with, with believing evolution, I'm fine with believing that there is no God. Well, when you, when you live that way, you'll come to the same conclusion that Joseph Stalin came true came to and what Adolf Hitler decided what Mao Zedong decided what Charlie Darwin and Ted Turner who owned CNN what they figured out and that is that man is only an animal that's what come Joseph Stalin had 30 million Georgians uh, slaughtered that's why Mao Zedong had over 40 million slaughtered on the long march man is only an animal and needs to be managed listen to all these guys at the World Economic Forum and and Davos and all these guys talking like they own the planet. They think that man needs to be managed, culled, sterilized, aborted, euthanized from time to time to keep the planet healthy. That's the product of living without God. And it goes on, verse 25. Oh, let me review here. Just number one, men reject God. They don't like him. Number two, they change him into something else. But it doesn't stop there. Then they start redefining truth. Look at verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, even for even their women did change the natural use, their, the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning in their lusts one toward another, Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. To change the truth means they already know the truth is there. They already know what the truth is. They've got creation, all of nature screaming that it was not an accident, that it was designed. People are born with eyes and with a couple of brain cells, don't you think? It doesn't take too much to be able to look at this universe and go, this is no accident. People are born with a conscience, a basic moral compass that tells us what's, what's right and wrong. It also tells us when to be ashamed, how to feel guilty when we do wrong. But what happens is they deny all the evidences. Stubborn human heart. We end up worshiping, worshiping creation instead of the creator and they worship things instead of the giver of life. And they become vile. Look at chapter, um, oh, go back. Look in uh, verse 26. I keep reading these things. It says, for which cause God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. 
Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. You'll not find one church in all of Europe preaching from this verse very often. Their affections become vile. Now, vile things, vile is a good Bible word. <clears throat> there are things that are not beautiful. They're obscene. They're perverse. They're repulsive. If something is vile, you want to throw up at it. And yet people, when they turn their back on God, they don't do it right at the first. They don't immediately run to something that's vile and repulsive, but that's the progress. That's the downward trend. They become addicted to things that are unnatural, things like repulsive, like when women do things that are unnatural. They say this, perverted sex is not just a man thing. I know we know all about Harry Weinstein, and they talk about all the male abusers, and there's a boatload of them. But women pervert themselves as well. And they do unnatural things with their bodies, damaging their bodies, that do things that keep, that sterilize them, that stop them from being able to get pregnant later. God designed the natural use of the woman and her body, and it's beautiful and it's right and it's wonderful. One, one major thing the Catholic Church got wrong was that sex is evil, and it's not. When it's outside of marriage, it's evil, but inside the confines of a protected environment, it is wonderful. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do not ever hate your body. Yet perverted women change their own natural design into a lie. The truth is, lesbians are contrary to nature. It's not right. And then men end up rejecting women and they burn in their lusts toward other men. Perverted men change their own natural desires into a lie. Men with men, they're contrary to nature. They're unnatural and unseemly. That word there in 27. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly. That's a powerful Bible word. That protects, again, that young reader who's reading the Bible. They can read right along. Thank God. I didn't have modern education because when I was nine years old, nobody talked about this stuff. I was worried about where does the X go? <laughs> what color is that? But nine-year-olds are being taught stuff that 29-year-olds shouldn't even know about. So unseemly means uh, men doing things that, are, that is not fit to be seen. So there are things that people do, that men do, that women do, that should never be watched on your screen. Amen. Unseemly. Take your Bible, turn to Ephesians. Hold your place here in Romans. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11. You know what happens when you preach through the Bible? You hit some hard stuff. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11 says this. Have no fellowship. Don't get along with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather, there's a time to reprove them. For it's a shame, ought to be, even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. I don't want to know what you do in secret. And yet everybody wants to be, wants to come out and let everybody know what they do on the weekends and what they do in their homes. It's a shame. So the natural drives that people have towards the opposite sex have become evil. You know, when I was 
growing up, I looked forward to marriage. That was a beautiful idea, an ideal. And yet it, is, it has become evil and same sex has become good. You ever notice that? And Isaiah chapter 5 says this, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light. No one is born a sodomite. I don't care what they say. I don't care what genes they think they find. You have to either be abused or taught to become one. God designed sex in the human body to be wholesome and right within the boundaries of marriage and the home. Amen. It used to be the young man looked forward to being married at a young age and that a young woman looked forward to being a wife and being married. Now all a young man wants is sex at a young age. Uh, we've gone down, haven't we? We've not only turned our back on God and started to walk away from God, we've gone very far away from God. And here's the scary part. It results in what the Bible calls a recompense. Look down there in verse 27. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense, that judgment, that payback of their error, which was meet, we'd say fitting. Homosexuality is not only unnatural, but it is destructive. All sin is destructive. Can I be honest? I mean, it's not like this is the only sin. Don't misunderstand that. But here in the Bible, when he discusses it and he talks about it, he says, when you start believing that marriage is okay for two men or two women, when you start to say that it's okay for lesbians and homosexuals to, to, to adopt children, all the things that people have normalized now, it is destructive. And it reaps. All sin is destructive, but especially homosexuality. It results in a judgment by God, something that you earn. You're reaping, if you go into that lifestyle, and you may know people who are in that thing, struggling with that thing. And it's not like, oh my goodness. No, you know, how do you deal with it? They're sinners. They need the gospel. They need a chance because probably nobody's ever helped them. They've been abused. They've been, been confused. They've been taught all kinds of different things and they're struggling with who they are. Give them, the, give them hope. Because what's happening in that state, and if there's anything uh, that, that you got to understand, if, if they're in that state, they're already reaping God's judgment. And you, if you're saved, you don't want anybody to face the judgment of God. I know if, if, I wouldn't want anybody to go to hell, amen? But homosexuality is the very reason why God removed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah from the face of the earth. And this recompense, we call it HIV now. Acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Do you know almost 100% of all AIDS affects homosexuals and needle-sharing addicts? Now, other people get it because they share a needle that aren't homosexual or they do stupid things like they're bisexual and all this stuff. But it's primarily that group of people who have abandoned God and walked away and thought they could do better. The recompense is also called monkeypox. You heard that phrase lately? Everybody got a monkeypox vaccine. You know what that was? That's something that had 99% of all monkeypox victims are homosexuals. You don't have to worry about it unless you're being stupid. Recompense is called sexually transmitted diseases. And I think 
the worst of all, it's a miserable life that they try to live. And folks, if you've ever tried to deal with people who claim to be gay, you find them usually the most unhappy people ever. Unfulfilled, angry, lonely. Not everybody. I know you're going to meet them. Oh, they're just fine for a while. I understand all that. Just like you're okay for a while. But this gay lifestyle is not all gay all the time. Sometimes they have no life until they're demanding your attention. Look at all the millions of TikToks of, look at me, look at me. I'm this way, I'm that way. They're looking for attention because they're empty. And they're suicidal. Haven't they told us? Look at all the people that are suicidal. Yeah, I know. And then they come around, they blame us. The recompense of the homosexual lifestyle is fitting. It fits the crime because these are sin. These acts are sins, they are perversions. Maybe you don't like that word. Probably you don't like this truth. Maybe because you're afraid that your children one day might be struggling with homosexuality. Everybody's going to struggle with the stuff they're putting on that television. Every one of the boys are, are, are growing up struggling against pornography. Everybody's struggling with an attitude. That's our environment. Every, and you're afraid, what if this? Just don't believe the lie that they were born that way. Maybe you're worried that you're going to be embarrassed if you ever believe the Bible. No, that's believing light. That gives hope. You're not the judge. But sometimes you need to wake up somebody who's an addict. You know the best thing to happen to an addict? To hit rock bottom. Not to be coddled, not to be given money, not to be, you know, helped out to the point where they have everything they want and all they do is they drink themselves to death. The best thing they need is to hit bottom. Somebody who's struggling with sexual tendencies and things like this doesn't need to be totally molly coddled. They need to be loved and firmly told, you can be free. This is not the way God made you. This is not the way you need to live. And you can have life and more abundant. You know what Jesus said? When Jesus was born, uh, uh, in Matthew 121, the verse is Joseph's told to name him Jesus, and then he says, the angel says, because he will save his people from their sins. He'll free us from this downward trend, not leave us as we are. And the truth is, the judgment of God, we're not even finished yet. I got one more point. It only gets worse. You see, when people abandon God, God abandons them. This is not a passive truth. This is a, a, an eternity deciding truth we're talking about here. Look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain, hold on to God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And verse 29 starts off saying, being filled with all unrighteousness. Just stop there. You ever heard somebody say, where is God? Where was God when this happened? How come, how come God does it? And they're all worried about where is God? And the truth is, uh, we kicked him out. I heard people say just a couple weeks ago, oh, I hate this God forsaken place. Wow. Do you know what made it forsaken by God? People forsaking God. The real question is, where are we? How far are we away from God? What does it mean when we, when, when we abandon God? Well, it means that we don't seek him anymore. I mean, if you abandon your children, <laughs> you know, you pull up at the super value, you go inside, you say, I'll be right back. I'll go back and get, uh, 
get some bags and you get in the car and you drive off. <laughs> Good riddance! <laughs> to abandon God means you just don't want to seek him anymore. You don't care about him. You don't understand him. A lot of people I meet, when I'm talking to people, whether Catholic, Protestant, I don't care who they are, they don't care anymore. They don't want to know God. When I came to Ireland 29 years ago, I would knock on a door and 45 minutes later, we'd still be talking about God. People invite me in. I, that's why I don't drink tea very much today because I drank so much tea the first five years here. I just can't handle it anymore. <laughs> I'd have six cups of tea in four hours, man. Going from door to door, everybody, well not everybody, but lots of people love to talk about God. Nobody wants to talk about him now. You know who wants to talk about God? More Muslims. Use that as an opportunity. But people are just arrogant. I don't want to talk about God. I, I, I'm fine. So what, what happens is people do not want to keep God around. You know what the truth is? If you don't want God around, he leaves. That's a scary thing. It's the worst thing to happen to you is for God to leave you alone. And look what happens when God leaves you alone. Look at verse 28. You get something called a reprobate mind. Verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient and to be filled with all unrighteousness. What does reprobate mind means? Well, you just read it there. It's a mind, we'll talk about it at the end there, full of sin. I'm glad I can't read minds. Can you imagine going up to somebody and saying, how you doing, and then you start hearing all their thoughts? you imagine how terrifying that would be? But somebody does know all your thoughts. And when somebody on the outside is all nice and sweet and wonderful, but on the inside is vile and full of all unrighteousness, you wouldn't want to be around them. And when somebody is a reprobate, they are full of sin. They are comfortable in their sin. See, reprobate means unfit, unstable, broken, rejected because it is unsalvageable. Now, there's a, there's a good use of the word there in Jeremiah. Verse chapter 6 says, reprobate silver shall men call them. People that have turned their back on God and have no time for God, they're going to call it call them reprobate silver because the Lord hath rejected them. It's rejected. Rejected on the fact that it's not true. It's silver on the top, on the surface, but underneath it's dross. It's only dirt. It's filthy. It's rejected. And it's corrupt. Look at 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy. Hold in your place here. Well, you can leave it. We'll come back if we have to. Uh, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It is rejected because it is unfit, unstable, it is broken, and it's ruined. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Talking about the mind. Now, as Janice and Jambres, these are not um, a uh, rock group. Janice and Jambres were magicians back there at, in uh, Pharaoh's courts. Standing up to Moses, says, As Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these today also resist the truth. They are men of corruptible minds. They are reprobate concerning their faith. They are corrupt. They don't have any faith. They are, their minds are just 
broken. They don't have a conscience anymore. <clears throat> My first car that I bought was a Sunbird is what it was called, but I don't know who made it. I don't know if it's a Chevy Sunbird or whatever. <laughs> I fell in love with this beautiful goldish looking car and I got inside and I tried to drive it home. And, and it had no clutch. Have you ever driven without a clutch? You're just shoving that clutch in and you're slamming the gears down into the next gear and the next gear. And I had to change that transmission. First thing I had to do when I bought my very first car. But you know, a lot of people, you know how that clutch got that way? It wasn't that way when, he, when, when it was bought. It was worn out. So it had to be replaced. And a lot of you have watched enough porn on that stupid thing you hold in your pocket or filth on your Netflix and Hulu and Cheerios videos you watch, whatever the thing is, you've burned out your conscience so that you don't ever think twice about what you're watching anymore and who's getting into bed with who and how far they're going. And it just doesn't bother you anymore. What have you done? You've burned out your heart and your conscience. And you're headed towards something. You're just not bothered by the stuff that are going on. You know, you read this stuff in the newspaper and you have these teachers saying, we're not going to tell parents that their children are struggling with same-sex issues. We're not going to tell parents when we're teaching uh, binary and, and queer ideology. We're not going to. That ought to make us upset. Because it's burning out their conscience. And that conscience is to be protected as long as possible. Example would be like um, a wheel axle on your car. You're driving along and you hit one of the famous Irish potholes. <laughs> and that axle that goes between the tires, back, maybe your back wheels or whatever, and that axle breaks. You tell me how far you can go on that axle. You can't use duct tape either. <laughs> it has to be replaced. And when your mind has gone this far, you cannot come back. I'm going to correct that in a second, but let me keep going. See, a reprobate mind hates life. Get it over here. Yeah, hates life. Does things, the Bible says, that are not convenient, we read there. That means it's not beneficial. Do you know it's not easy being queer? That's why they want everyone to help them. They want everybody to affirm them. Help me. Yeah, because it's hard. It's hard enough being married. Can you imagine what it's like being married to a guy like you? I know you're all quiet. <laughs> I came in here with Teflon shield of prayer saying, Lord, make this work because I know how hard this is to hear. I know what it is, but this is the book that made us free and it's got to be kept up as that's right. Bible says in Isaiah, the way of the transgressors, that lawbreaker is hard. It's not, you may enjoy sin for a season, but in the end it bites like an adder, like a snake. So the truth is, it's not an easy life living with a broken mind. So you ought to be very afraid of going down the path of being comfortable with sin, being comfortable with rejecting God, being comfortable with arguing with the pastor on a Sunday morning as he preaches. You ought to be very uncomfortable with arguing about against the Holy Spirit when he's revealing to you and trying to humble you when, he's, when you constantly reject and resist and fight against the Holy Spirit of God that's working in you. When you constantly do that, guess what? It becomes harder and harder to get right with God. And let me say this. 
I found a verse. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 25. Matthew 19, 25. When the disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. Would you circle that? You see, the truth is, you and I may give up on somebody and says they're beyond help and they've got a reprobate mind, look at the life they're living. But I like the word all in there. And I like the word possible. And the most important word in there is God, not the sinner. It's not based on whether I can save myself. It's not based on whether I can figure things out, 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 of, out of my, whether it's my sin of addiction or whether it's my sin of bitterness. All sins separate me from God. But this process, Paul picks some pretty serious ones that sort of affect us as we go on this down. This whole process is our own doing. How does God save somebody who's walking away from God, who hates God and rejects God? He can do it. He did it with Paul on the road to Damascus, didn't he? Saul wasn't looking for God, and God hit him square between the eyes. You need to pray that and say, God, get him. So-and-so looks impossible to me, but with God, all things are possible. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The truth is the worst can get saved from God's wrath. That's the good news. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If you've got any unrighteousness, you've got any sin in you, you ain't going. <laughs> Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Oh, there's a unique word, effeminate. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Again, it, it, does it have to be clearer for you to get the meaning? Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor bankers, I'm sorry, extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty simple list of people who are not going in. And then it says this, verse 11, and such were some of you. It's in the past now. You got saved. You're washed, it goes on. You're sanctified. That means you cleaned. You're justified. You're made right in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Do you know there is no sin that Jesus did not free a man from when he died on the cross? Can I say that again? There is no sin that Jesus did not free a man from when he died on the cross. government tries to make something illegal and it doesn't change people does it laws don't change people limits things but doesn't change people religions don't change people only Jesus in you can change you Jesus actually became the very sin that you're struggling with not that he sinned and not that he did the sin but God labeled Jesus as you and your sin and then he judged him and then when he looks at you it's finished it's done the sin is gone 
Jesus became that sin that controls you, and then God judged that sin thoroughly on the cross so that we don't carry that sin anymore. How do we continue in sin if grace has abounded to us and saved us? How do we do that? Why do we do that? I got one more picture here. I want you to understand a little story I thought of. I've never wanted to ever do this, okay? I know Eric has and Carrie and, and other people. They can risk their lives, all right? I like my life, all right? But, <clears throat> but in our life, we are held up by a thin cord from God called grace. Every day of our life, God is holding us up. It's like a wall climber or a mountain climber, and they have a rope around them. It's called a safety rope. It's holding them as they climb. But as they climb, sometimes people get a bit what we call arrogant or self-confident, too self-confident, and they become disillusioned with that rope that's always in the way. And they think they don't need the rope because they haven't fallen yet. So they never seem to rely on the rope, so they just keep climbing away. And then one day, when the rope is constantly hitting them in the face and constantly getting in their way, they decide to cut the rope. And then they keep climbing up that mountainside and they go, oh, I'm fine. And they keep climbing, they enjoy the view. You know what you and I would call that? Stupidity. What the Bible calls it? Reprobation. And then without warning, they slip and grasp and panic and then fall all the way down to the bottom and die a horrible death. And that rope that was meant to save them to keep them from falling, can do nothing for them because it's been mocked and rejected. And the grace that God has given you every day of your life where he has not judged you yet, when you turn your back on that and you just keep living your way, there's one person that God cannot save, the one who does not want to be saved. Don't reject the influence of God in your life, even if it's a small prick in your heart, even if it's just a small little voice that says, you better listen, even if it's that small little awareness of, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I don't want to admit it. Don't reject that. Don't fight that. Don't go down that path anymore. You know what repentance is? Stopping and going, I don't want to go any further. I can't come back to you, God. Come get me. You know what God does? Told there with the, with the uh, prodigal son coming home, as he's walking home, his father sees him, and who does the running? The father runs to the son and falls upon his neck and hugs him and takes him in. No matter how far you've gone, God will meet you there and will pick you up and carry you all the way home. That's salvation. That's the good news. That's the gospel. We're looking at a world and we're living in a world that is going so far. Oh, they look so happy, but in their homes, it's destructive. Their lives are destructive. Their minds are destroyed. Ours are being influenced and it's affecting our families. And when God designed us, God didn't design you to have sexually transmitted diseases. God didn't design you to have kidney failure. Don't follow that path. You say, well, if I live the Christian life, I'll be out of step. Amen. My friends won't like me. Yeah. But I'll be saved. I'll get to the top. That, oh, that rope is there for a reason. 
Now, truth is, we've been looking for the last few weeks on God's description of wrath, and it is real and it's serious. And the truth is, we deserve God's wrath. We talked about this last week. I think God has patiently waited and patiently reasoned with us. Some of you have been to church for years and you're still not saved. One of these days, the wrath of God will be deserved. We're going to face God one day. If you don't experience the judgment of God now, if you're not saved, you will one day. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. And if we don't properly react and repent, the last line of mankind that it crosses is called a reprobate mind. It's closed and rejected by God. Amazingly, God has made a way for a wicked man to repent. Second Timothy, uh, Second Peter, go to the right, we're finished. Second Peter chapter 3. Almost to Revelation. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Second Peter 3, 9 says this. The Lord is not slack. He's not lazy concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. Some people don't understand why God is so patient. But he is not patient. What is he? He's long-suffering to usward. Why? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? I don't care how far you've gone. God is waiting. If you're still breathing, God is waiting for you to go, I am so sick of this life. I'm so tired of this path. I am so messed up. I'm so, so upset at myself for being so stupid. And God is waiting for you to repent and say, all right, you win. I'm a mess. You died for me. I believe it. You were buried and you rose again. I believe it. Just save me and start over with me. And that is the day of eternity for you. That's the best day of your life because that's the day you get born again. And I don't care what fun you've had before. It only gets gooder and gooder and gooder now that you're saved. Let's, let's stand. Bow our heads in prayer, please. Father, in this quiet moment, this first chapter is like the foundation for the book of Romans, and it's uncomfortable because it is talking about things now. Rome was a wicked empire, the kind of lifestyle that was back then used to be unimaginable. Well, it's back now in every corner of Hollywood in every hall of justice. Every law in the books is now honoring and normalizing things that are vile and repulsive. So what are we going to do? Is everybody in this room just going to go with the flow? Or are we going to wake up and say, no, 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 I don't want to end up under the wrath and the judgment of God being filled with, a, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God instead of all the sin that used to fill me. I want to be filled with Jesus Christ instead of a stinking, angry, bitter old me. So, Lord, we've heard both the bad news and the good news. Bad news is pretty bad. 
But the good news is you're not willing that any should perish. So if there's anybody still breathing here today who's not been saved, I pray they finally cry out to you. It's a private thing. All I have to do is talk to God. But Lord, would you please help somebody cry out to you and say, Lord, you win. I know I'm going to face you one day and I am not ready. So I face you today as a sinner. I ask you to save me. And Christian, would you realize Paul was burdened about going everywhere and telling everyone there's hope. There's good news. Jesus saves. I pray we keep doing it, keep going, keep talking. Because that's the only hope for this world is the preaching of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.